Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. This one took a lot of time. Uh, we have tried and failed several times with audio for some reason, well, various reasons, with Manu Nubel, Germany One, for the whole time he started in 2015 and uh, through 2021, just like I have. So we did four races together. We both started at the same time, and I've been wanting to do more of these rewinds with the X-Alps with legends like Manu and so we did it last week didn't work we tried a few times today didn't work but we finally got it so some really fun stories here from Germany one from Manu and he's just had a little boy and so he's also taken a break this year and from the 2023 race he and I'll be watching from the sidelines but yeah we share some fun memories some fun highs and lows from the race and uh stuff together and stuff apart and i think you're really going to enjoy it so without further delay please enjoy this really fun talk with my friend manuel newble germany one cheers manu this is this is hysterical man i'm glad we're both still smiling we're gonna have fun with this i promise because Man, we have bad luck with our recordings. We tried two years ago, that didn't work. We tried a week ago, that didn't work. We've tried all yeah. morning, this isn't working, but now it's going to work. It's going to work. Yeah, yeah, we are now professional recorders, I would say. <laughs> Thank you for having me, and uh, fingers crossed that this time we have a nice, uh, happy end. <laughs> yeah, and we were we were just talking about, in, in the last attempt, uh, talking about bad luck and how we have to embrace bad luck, especially in the X-Alps. We've, we've mm -hmm. both had some bad luck and some good luck. So I'm excited to talk to you about your X-Alps campaigns. You and I have done the same. We started in 2015 together, and uh, we both ended, at least maybe temporarily, uh, or maybe not, let's see. But in 2021, we're both taking a break this time. Uh, when we tried a week ago, I got to see your new little one. I take it, let's catch everybody up before we get into the X-Alps, just catch everybody up with, with your life. What's going on, and, and why aren't you competing this year? Yeah, I, I'm you now a professional recorder and I'm really busy recording interviews. <laughs> so there's no time for training except. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, no, um, yeah, my little son uh, Linus is here, and I'm really happy that I made this decision to uh, spend, to be able to spend full time with him and uh, my wife Anastasia. And yeah, we have no family around really close by, so it's really. Wow, I, when I made a decision, uh, I, I already expected something, but now it's even more time, but it's also on the same uh, uh, hand. It's so nice to have the little boy, and I, I'm not regretting the decision in one second, so I'm totally happy that, I, that I'm not under the pressure to participate in XAPS and trade for it, and at the same time, I, I always would have the feeling leaving my family at home and uh, alone, and uh, yeah, it, it, it can really take some nerves uh, uh, so and I, I wouldn't have a clear mind for training and also maybe not in the competition yeah so, yeah I, I you know i think you'll, you you've already learned this just even though your son is is tiny still but man they change fast and that was mm -hmm. that was the big one for me you know fallon was born right immediately after the 2017 x alps in fact we had a whole protocol for you know if maddie maddie was back home in the states obviously but if she went into labor early you know my team had to decide okay we're going to tell him we're not <laughs> we're not going to tell him the whole thing and uh <laughs> 
but she, they came over with me for the 2019 race. They stayed at Paul's in Austria and, and that was really great, but I didn't get to see them. And, you know, so it was, you know, the training before the race and then the pre-week and then the race itself, and, you know, it's six weeks and that I didn't really get to see them much at all. And she's a totally different person after six weeks. So, you know, yeah. for me too, this time it was just, man, I, I don't think I can justify it. Just the time away and the time training is immense. It's, yeah. it's so much. So, well, yeah. I, I applaud that. I, I take it you're still maybe, you're a maybe for 2025. Are you thinking, you know, we'll see how things go? Yeah, I definitely have this in mind, and yeah, I just thought also now it's the the time also when he's so young and he cannot walk on his own, then it's even more or it's different maybe. And uh, but when he's a bit older and maybe, uh, yeah, could even join the the supporting team. <laughs> Let's see, I don't know in two years, but uh, yeah, uh, we are open for everything, and uh, I'm I still love Xalps, I still love the training, I still love everything of, uh, which uh, is. Um, in combination with uh, the application of the XAP, so I definitely have it in mind, and it's for sure just a temporary thing. But let's see how the world looks in two years. <laughs> I'm quite a bit grayer than you are, Manu. But how old are you? Uh, look on the side. I, ha I have hey. also a lot of gray hair starting. I I'm 35. <laughs> 35. Okay, so that yeah. was you know you got you're younger than I mean my first X Alps was I think I was 42. Yeah, mm. 42. So you got plenty of time, no problem. I I, I think so too. Yeah, as long as <laughs> my body is uh, not telling me other things and I am still motivating, motivated and yeah. Cool. Well, you know, like we did this a week ago, so you know all this, but just for the listeners to remind them, basically what we're going to do is kind of go back in time and and relive the highs and lows from your campaigns starting in 2015. That was, I believe, the first year they had the prologue. Uh, yes. And we we were still up in Fushal, AMC, for the prologue. We had wicked weather. It was very, very hot. It was, I think it was record-breaking heat the first three days of the race. Uh, and, in, you know, all the X-Alps are kind of dictated, in my mind at least, by mostly by the weather. And they're each very different because of the weather. This was still when we started in early July rather than now. It's more kind of early as June. But the, the 2015 race was dictated by wind. We, we had, uh, at that time, it was the longest that it had ever been. We still ended in Monaco. We hopped back and forth across the Alps a few times. I think it was almost 1,200K. And the, but the the wind was, was really strong. Not the first, first couple of days was beautiful. And then, and there was a lot of accidents, you know, they, they don't ever really publish the bad stuff, but you know, Toma came pretty close to dying. Uh, Tom was rescued out of a tree. Yeah. That he got his face yeah. ripped off. It was, he yeah. landed in, in hundred mile an hour winds. Michael Vichy yeah. threw his reserve, landed in a lake and almost drowned. Oh, wow, that was scary. That Whoa. was scary. His story yeah, of that. I've had him on the podcast. Oh yeah. God. Terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Michael Gebhardt just said enough, you know, too much wind. Yeah. So there was a lot of wind, uh, but a lot of flying. We I think Kriegel got there in eight days. Uh, I got there in 10. You were just behind me in, in ninth. Uh, and so you and I had a good race at the end. We're going to hear about that here in a little bit. But yeah, it was, it was both of our rookie seasons. And I'd love to hear your your you know a couple of highlights and a, and maybe a, a hard time that went on i know there were some bees at one point <laughs> <laughs> don't don't spoil it 
No, no. <laughs> Maybe they were thinking about that. Just... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, you, you, um, I, the good thing is if you record the things two or three times, you you can afterwards remember things which you missed to uh, tell the people. And just yeah. when you were telling about the wind, and last time I completely missed this this uh, experience. Uh, there's this one day where I was seriously and not just like a little bit flying backwards with 33 kilometer per hour. I, I, I was, I, this was this valley wind um, gap there next to uh, Priançon area, more or less. Uh, there's a huge lake where it's normally a lot of wind, but uh, at this day it Am was crazy. A Ebro. But the good a thing. Uh, that big uh, lake down by Gap. Yeah. yeah uh, oh, man, I got slammed there. That's where I, now that my, was the my closest friend, I've ever been to getting dead. Uh, I guess my friend Fabi Bull is now disappointed that I cannot remember the name because he's <laughs> flying there. And I was actually also flying there afterwards. And he explained me everything, how this works, this area. But uh, yeah, this day I had no idea. I made a stupid or like I thought in my intuition was not really working there. So I ended up suddenly flying like crazy. Like it was one, two kilometer backwards in the valley wind. But the good thing was, as you were trained at this episode 2015 with this lot of wind, I could see actually in this situation, I was not even so scared because I could see a huge field behind me and I could really judge by the days before uh, this day. I, I had a really good feeling on how the wind was at the ground directly. So I could really judge that it was not so crazy at the ground. So when I was landing, it was maybe five to 10 kilometer backwards. And there was a huge field where we actually spiraled down in front of the field so that I don't miss it and, and, and yeah and th then i thought i was the hardest guy here in the race and then till i met you and you told me like 80 meter per second sink i thought like <laughs> no way he's exaggerating <laughs> i asked kriegel actually i didn't told you this story i asked kriegel and said like hey gavin told me like 18 meters sink come on I mean, he's a bit accelerating, right? And he said to me, no, at this, day, at this day, I had 25 meter sink. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, yeah, this, the, the day was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. People, uh, people have heard that story, but that was, I mean, I still, I remember sitting in Monaco, whatever, a couple of days later, and we were all telling our horror stories, you know, Aaron <laughs> and Paul and, and, and everybody just had these, nightmare stories of crazy you know errands yeah. of watching andra almost get killed his supporter because back then you were allowed to fly together but this that day and it, it was in vars and i was just having one it was beautiful it was amazing i was catching up to the guys in front i, I thought everything was perfect and i suddenly i'm in all this wind exactly where you're talking about and i was kind of trying to cross into var with there's an island there and i and i got in there and and top landed because i couldn't figure out what was going on and when I relaunched, it was fine. And that's because I was in the lee. I didn't realize it. And mm -hmm. and as soon as I tried to get in through this coal, it just got batted out of the air. And it was literally, there was these ponds <laughs> for for the for snowmaking. And I thought, that's my only that's my only way to survive. I've got to get to the pond and then I'll just full stall it into the pond. At least I'm going in the water. And and but if I'm later on, I looked at my track log, it was 20 meters down. It was just, I had kind of a, I had a, a almost a, a, a breakdown after that. I started crying. I was totally fine. I landed fine, but I, I started just thought, man, this is, this is too much now. <laughs> this is, this is too much. Yeah, I can imagine it. Yeah. And, um, 
about the highs and the lows. Yeah, this was just a story which I afterwards thought, hey, it's important to, or interesting to tell. But uh, yeah, the, the highs and the low for sure, the, the low and high started uh, before the race when I broke my patella just uh, less than four months before the race. And I got this huge metal thing sticking out like one, two centimeters out of my patella. And actually all all doctors said like forget it, except it's over for you for sure. Um and then I I just said like okay, it sounds really clear that I have no chance. It also looked makes so sense that uh, my whole patella tendon was full with one uh, metal piece and uh, yeah and also yeah more not only one metal piece even more and so I thought like okay but I just want to make the best out of it so let's let's try to uh, to uh, uh, take part in the race. And maybe after one or two days, I drop out, but as, as at least I have some information or experiences for the next episode to be better there. For sure, it won't be a bad thing as long as I don't damage my knee uh, really strongly for f further years. So, um, yeah, I made this decision with my supporter and uh, then it, I ended up to reaching Monaco, which was... Of course, uh, uh, absolutely dream. But before I reached Mon Monaco, there was a, a nightmare again, <laughs> uh, which was uh, the this, this second lower. Uh, and it was really um, a piece out of many, many little things which went wrong. The, uh, it started uh, that I made a stupid decision uh, really close. I could even already see the, uh, the, the sea uh, of Monaco. I was really good prepared and knew exactly my line, what to fly. But then there came cirrus clouds in front of the sun. So, uh, and I saw, I thought like I need to reach Gavin <laughs> in front of me running uh, towards the goal. And yeah, the <laughs> to catch Gavin. No, actually, I didn't know that. That, that I thought you were already in goal. But uh, and and then I, the cirrus cloud made like one term already super weak, and I need to get over little call and uh, to make it to the next valley and it was a matter of like maybe i was over the call 200 meters and then i glided oh i tried over the call to glide over there and then suddenly i got headwind and sink and it was a few seconds where i thought like, oh, oh this will be very close oh, oh this will be super close and then i thought oh, oh I, i'm not gonna make it but i still kept on pushing towards the call and maybe three four seconds later i said like oh god i'm not making it and there's everywhere trees in this horrible uh, landscape there of, of monaco so I turned around and realized, oh shit, I'm now really uh, low for this plateau to make it even back to the terminal. And yeah, I had backwind and still a lot of sink. And I, within the maybe five to 10 meters, I sunk into the trees and really with a lot of impact actually. And there the nightmare began. So I hang in the tree, couldn't reach my supporter or very long time. Suddenly, uh, then I, I pushed the emergency button uh, on the... Uh, uh, the Garmin, but just to tell them that I'm okay, but that I'm hanging in a tree. Then I could suddenly communicate with them and said, like, hey, please, no helicopter. Suddenly a helicopter was coming. Uh, and it took me to make it a little bit shorter, five hours to make it out of, the, like, maybe one hour out of the tree, then uh, on my own, then to, to find a trail or something was really hard. There were thorns everywhere and this little trails made out of maybe uh, a wild boars or pigs or whatever where i just <laughs> crawled my way to 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 have any chance to to reach my supporter and after five hours we made it and then 
after we spoke with the meat director, we were thought like, okay, now it's just a walk into the goal. Gavin is anyway out of reach in front of me and uh, uh, Nick Nanens behind me shouldn't reach me anymore. So easy. We just walked the whole night and it will be easy. Um, and I, I could even <laughs> leave my glider in the trees and take another glider just as ballast. Uh, to to make the last meters but then uh, it was really uh, the nightmare started suddenly my life tracking was not working so uh, a runner came and, and gave me a new life tracking device which was still not working then in the middle of the night i made this or we made the decision that i to take a little shortcut which i ended up completely getting lost could not communicate because my in or i could communicate but had no internet uh, so I just could call with my supporter and it was more like, where are you? Yeah, I'm here on the street seeing lights and yeah, on the left curve. <laughs> ah, yeah, there, it makes sense. So maybe you have to go right or left. And, <laughs> and <laughs> then my Garmin uh, com uh, uh, backup device didn't work because there was an airspace bug uh, hiding exactly the maps at this area. I could not recharge my internet because my provider had a, a, a bug and a malfunction. And oh. to make it a bit short, it was really no acceleration, just like this. And then when I finally reached Monaco, the five we thought I would reach it at one o'clock or so. And then suddenly at five o'clock in the morning, after endless height meters, I reached it. And I thought like, oh, now I really made it. And all the bad luck is now gone. I reached the goal. Nothing can happen anymore. Till the next morning, when at eleven o'clock, I, 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 oh no, at actually a bit earlier, yeah. No, eleven o'clock, I could sleep till eleven, and then I stood up, and the first thing what you need to do maybe after sleeping is uh, to get a little bit lighter, and I just went there, <laughs> jumped over like some huge rocks, and yeah, did my thing there for two three seconds, and suddenly something stung me in my uh, butt, and I was just <laughs> like trying to escape. <laughs> And, and so I, I just made my things next to the beehive, you know, and I got three sticks in my leg. <laughs> I just... <laughs> the I bees just are like, what are you doing, man? What are you doing yeah. to our home? <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I was really like, okay, I'm not going to fly down to the lake. It's it's uh, to the sea. It's way too... Uh, I'm doomed and I, 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 it's too scary, all these things. I'm scared now. And But in the oh. end, I made it and... And then the the uh, bad luck stopped so finally. <laughs> you know, I uh, told you this the last time we talked last week, but it, I, I want to say it again because it was so funny. But that that morning we had this we got this great beta from somebody in Australia that was just watching us, and we did the same shortcut crap that you did. It was awful. Yeah. It was got completely lost, and Ben just got shredded because he got so upset at himself because we couldn't find the trail, and so he was just yanking these thorns out of the ground, and and we finally got up to this launch. We had no water. It was hot. I was I was out of my brain i had no ability to fly and i and i blew it the, the 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 cloud showed the way to go but i was scared to go away from goal and fly deeper into the mountains so i tried to go straight and i made it 5k it was a complete waste of effort and i landed and the live tracking showed that i was 3k away you know but the the route yeah. was 14k and it was 3000 yeah. feet of gain and and i just broke down and i you know <laughs> bruce caught up with me and he goes, okay, so here's some food. Get going, you know. And and I said, no, I I can't. I'm done. And he said, really? You're you're <laughs> gonna you're gonna end 14k away from goal. You're yeah. done. And and he, he he got me going again, and that was good. And but I was just so slow. I was barely moving up this hill. And about halfway up, he calls me and he said, 
you got to run, you got to run, man. Who's in the air? He's going to beat you, you know? And I saw, really? Oh my God, no way. Cause I wasn't going to catch Ferdy. Ferdy was already in. And so yeah. I didn't have any reason to race. And yeah. so I start kind of jogging up this hill and I'm just pouring sweat and I'm so <laughs> exhausted and my feet are trashed. And then about a half an hour later, Bruce called me again and he said, yeah, no, it's okay. You can go slow. He landed in a tree. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but I never yeah. knew all the backstory. I didn't, I thought I didn't know it was such a nightmare. That's crazy. Yeah. I'm sure you're fun. Like, is he good? Oh, that's yes. really, that's really. <laughs> oh yes. Uh... That was the first thing I was thinking. Yes, for yeah. sure. Oh, is he okay? No, he's not, totally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in the end, Hey, it was such a nice race. So many people also, Hey, the, the people might not know the story from, um, Stefan Gruber, who landed in the zoo of the Princess of uh, Monaco. And he, That's he, right. When, when he landed, he said, like, oh, there's a nice uh, field, which was actually airspace where he got the penalty. And he landed there on the field in Monaco, and then an elephant came out of the bus. <laughs> and he thought, like, oh, shit, did I miss the crossing towards Africa, or where am I? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is what you're saying. Seriously. Oh, my God, I forgot all about that. That's right. Yeah, then oh, the security came in and locked him, or, like, uh, took him away. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be uh, back crazy, to the race yeah. in a moment, everybody. Okay. Oh, it's crazy. Do you remember <laughs> that before we leave 2015, uh, a, a real highlight, you know, something that, I mean, obviously getting to Monaco was a, was a beautiful highlight, but do you remember something else from the race, a, a specific flight or a specific moment that was really special you still think about today? Mm. Um, yeah, actually, I think the flight towards Monaco was the highlight because I was almost crying when I saw the sea. And I thought, like, I cannot imagine it. I made, we made it the first episode with my broken patella against all the odds. Everybody telling you, now you have no chance. And I, it was such a reach. Like, and actually, we made it. But at this moment, it was really emotional when I saw the sea. And I also, uh, I, I, I made some messages for my supporting team. Hey, we are gonna make it. Yes, I see the sea. I see the sea. Which was actually at this day, I did a 100k flight or something really fast. Um, but then uh, maybe half an hour later, I said. Like oh, I'm hanging in the tree now, <laughs> no see right now anymore. <laughs> uh, it's cool to have the dichotomy between the really high and the yeah. really low on the same day. Yeah. Do you you? I didn't ask you this before, but the you mentioned that you really knew how to do that section of the course. What is your what are your thoughts on scouting? beforehand because i was really surprised before the 2015 race remember we did the media thing at red bull and i was sitting next to kriegel and you know and i'm just in awe this kriegel and i was we were talking before they started doing the interview and i asked him you know hey do you go how much do you scout how much do you go view the course and he said not at all i don't look at it mm. at all because if i look at it in june it's totally different in july and i don't want to have preconceived notions and that blew me away because i had been scouting a lot i was very nervous and i was trying to go everywhere i could but what what's your views on that yeah my my view is similar i mean if you're kriegel for sure you have to say like he's like a, a decade old um, um competition pilot like he's flying competition for decades before he even started xalps then he made like all these episodes uh, like i can even compare to me like the four episodes i made xalps i i learned so much about the alps which helps you a lot and 
I would say the same, like if you just go there once and you just see it in a different in spring and then you're there in more stable condition, for sure it can lead you to a different, uh, to, to bad decisions may even. Um, so if you would uh, want to scout it, I would recommend to do it one year early on the same time, but then you don't know the route. So it's really hard and, and, and just very short before excels. It's also you're, you're busy with other things. So I'm more relying on asking people or looking um, maybe, the, uh, for example, this time in 2015, I studied a lot of the approaches towards Monaco, which were quite similar from f former episodes, like two or three mm. years. I, I had the track logs and this helped me, especially in this area, a lot um, mm. to, uh, to um, navigate. Interesting. Yeah, because that's that's really the hardest part of the course in my mind, and it's it's like you said, there's there's nowhere to land, there's a lot of wind, uh, there's a lot of sea breeze, there's there's it's stability. complicated. You've got airspace stability, it's, it's, and and you're exhausted. It's at the end of the yeah. race. It's it, in yeah. in a lot of way. Well, we'll get to we'll get to 2021 when they changed the course. And that was for those of us, I think, I think for those that hadn't been to Monaco, probably that was a disappointment, but for those that have, I, I hated Monaco. I, I, I didn't, I didn't like ending in the concrete jungle and I've been very vocal about that, but it's, yeah, it's, that, uh, that's the downside for sure. But uh, the upside was really, I mean, it's called Red Bull X Alps cross Alps originally. So you have to sure. cross the Alps and um, yeah, but you're right for sure. Like once you're there in Monaco after landing on the float, it takes, a couple of hours and then you just want to go out uh, go away again. yeah for yeah. sure for sure okay so 2017 uh was the first time i believe in the history of the race that no one flew one day our first day was was just dumping rain and nobody flew that day there was a lot of running uh and first time i think that we went south of the the you know we went all the way down to Slovenia. And so the first time we made a move, you know, immediately to the South side of the Alps. And so really interesting course and really bad weather. And for the most part, there was lots of good flying, but there was a lot of overdevelopment and a lot of storms and a lot of gust fronts. And so that was a much wetter X Alps than 2015, but uh, take us back to 2017. Mm, yeah, 2017 was really nice. Um, I had a very good time with my team. Like it was really flowing, and we had nice time. Uh, that's also always very important for me. Um, yeah, it was same team. Shini Yossi and maybe was Sasha there already there? I don't know. At, at, for sure, same team, but maybe plus one i mean there are always people coming and joining uh, uh joining and maybe uh, for example i think it this year robert blue was also there for half of the race uh, uh, race and we had really nice time really showing uh, uh yeah uh, to to race nice but on the same hand to be able to enjoy it making good decisions and yeah till the uh, almost the end where i got this uh, heat exhaustion and yeah we just decided that uh, because uh, yeah it was not good for my health to continue with heat exhaustion there in the brutal heat of Piemont and uh, yeah so we just decided it's uh, better for me to withdraw uh, that was but on the other hand it was also afterwards when 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 we saw what how the other pilots did um, after we withdraw it was really uh, um, n not a nice experience anymore you could not fly it was very stable it was full with mosquito really while walking yeah windy and um yeah 
So that was that was up. one of the few times that uh, you know I I I had quite a, a really bad start. We made a bad call on on using a the night pass the first night, and I was quite tired and made some silly mistakes early. And it was one of the few times where you all out front. It, got slowed down by the weather and we had kind of a chance to to make some ground from from behind a little bit which was unusual usually the you know kriegel's out front and he has better weather the whole way but it was really windy that was uh mm -hmm. I, I believe the first year that benoit only two people made it kriegel and benoit and then paul was in monaco but he didn't make pay he made it to the to the beach but yeah, it was it was quite a slow year, especially at the end, because everybody was just yeah. trucking it on foot. But you had quite a neat. That was the first time I had seen, and maybe since then too, you had a really nice gaggle for a lot of the race. It was you and Ferdy. Remind me who else? That uh, was that Simon's first year too. Yeah, Simon maybe. Um, I cannot remember exactly. Yet. But you had a nice. It was kind of a cool. There was like four yeah, or five was, of you that were doing Nick a lot of flying together. I think sometimes Nick, yeah. Meran, and uh, all the time someone else. Sebastian Huber was also uh, sometimes with me. But yeah, I think I made one really nice decision, where which I'm actually proud of. That's maybe my highlight. If we're talking about the highs and lows, 2017, there it was the turn point at uh, Monte Baldo Garda, Lago di Garda, and uh, we made this huge push up there, the 1,800 height meters up, and. The thermals were just, uh, they were already really good walk, working around us, but not at Lago di Garda. And I knew also from scouting before and preparation that the other side, uh, uh, San uh, Simone or Limone, or how is it? Not San Simone, uh, Limone or so, the other side of the Lago di Garda is very often stable. And also the sun was not shining perfectly in. And if you do, if there's if this side is not working, you're you're running out of options. So you cannot even glide around the mountains in the nice direction. You cannot land because it's impossible to land and also impossible to restart. So I was there up there with Sebastian Hooper was catching up when I was waiting there, and there was Stanislav Meyer and someone else. Oh, and at, at Montebaldo at the takeoff, which I know also from aqua flying and, and other experiences are quite good. So we decided to walk. Uh, so we wanted to go to the one mountain further towards the north, which was higher, and there was a little cloud over it, and it, it was better from the south, uh, from the sun. Uh, it was facing towards the sun better. So we said we, we want to go up there and start there. And then we thought about like making this like little glide towards this mountain, which maybe is like 250 meters in altitude. And there is like a, a landing place up there uh, on the other side, maybe 1K glide. But then I, I spoke with my supporter and we said like, hey, it's it's a good thing because I uh, think one or two, Stanislav and, and, and Sebastian Huber, they had already prepared their gear. So I thought like, hey, if I'm the first one and they had other opinions, they want to go to Limone and I said like, oh, it will work there. And I thought like, hey, it's too risky. I'm running out of option if it's not working. So if I do the, the little hike more, maybe 250 meter down and on the other side, 500 up, I can easily glide on the next mountain and I can even reach a terminal there. And I have a lot of more options afterwards. And it's also not so scary there because I think you were landing there. No, it was Gaspar Petio. You, you too? 
Landing no, I landed in I landed in the trees. I I I just tagged the turn point up from, up from the ground. I flew across the the lake in the morning, hiked uh-huh. up, uh-huh. got the turn point, uh-huh. flew back across uh-huh. the there. lake. But by then the wind was howling, and I just stuffed myself back in one of those canyons on the other side. Yeah. And there was nowhere to land. There was nowhere to go. I just landed in the trees, and luckily oh. it just came down out of the trees, and I could keep going. But it was really uh, scary, very violent. The- it was blowing fifty miles an hour. It was. Crazy. Yeah, I wanted to avoid this. So to 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 um, yeah. And then we decided, hey, if I glide on the next mountain, and also the landing places were just in glide reach. So I was a bit scared if I don't make it to this little gap in the forest, I I, I would have to fly really the completely wrong direction and even further down to find the next landing place and to hike up even more. So we said like, hey, come on, we have still the gear packed. So let's run down this 250 meters trail running fast down and on the other side up. And then we have two advantage because like uh, Sebastian Huber had the gear prepared so he could not really uh, if I would make it flying and he said oh this worked good he would maybe follow me and when we walked down he uh, decided to go to Limone and when we started we could terminal up really nicely on 3000 meter over Lago di Garda this was really the most Whoa. impressive moment yeah and then I made a huge crossing and a huge flight uh, uh, and and uh, and the other one were stu- uh, stuck in uh, Limone. And uh, is, is Limone just on the hours. east side of the lake? Is that that, is the, that west side. The, the little town over the other side? Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. the west over the lake, but it's the southeast side, yes. And, and sorry, this was west side of the lake, a good yeah. decision, decision for sure. Yeah. Ah, okay, cool. And, and then from there, did you take more the southern route? Remember how Paul did it? He did way south in the little foothills, no, and then you, you took north. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so Bellinzona, Locarno, exactly. that, that yeah. route? Okay, yeah. cool, uh-huh. which was fast. Yeah, cool. Uh, let's see, that was the highlight. Low light? Was the was the injury? Was the having to withdraw? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, that, I, yeah. Tell me more about that. So it was just, it was just, you were low electrolytes or just you just worn out or what what, what no, was i it? could not uh the food and uh, drinks uh, were not staying inside and um i got fever and all this stuff so uh, heat is the killer then also for uh dehydration and all the stuff and then we said like okay it's over now ah yeah. and that you were you were kind of up near monta rosa or uh, uh just uh Aosta valley almost out in the flat so it would have okay. been just hot, hot walking in front of me. Okay, got yeah, yeah. That was that was that was terrible at the end. Okay, twenty nineteen. As a reminder to the, those listening, twenty nineteen was it in from it was crazy hot and stable at the end of the race. The last few days, just I mean, record breaking. We had this massive kind of stability come off the come off of Africa, and all the sky was filled with dirt and dust. And I remember walking through Chamonix; it was a hundred degrees on the ground in in the morning. It was crazy, and uh, that was the same time that all those people top landed Mont Blanc. So if you could get above the stability, you were loving it, like Toma did. Yeah, uh, the early part of the race was was nice and sunshine and easy, but the I never had any wind I, everywhere we went you could launch it was no there weren't really storms so much the middle of the race there wasn't any sun uh but it wasn't ever i, I remember 2019 as never being dangerous it was just uh you know we had interesting weather but it was never most of my the xops have been at times really pretty dicey especially 2021 but we'll get mm. to that but 2019 was was kind of mellow in a lot of ways yeah yeah that's true um 
I mean, the only danger was maybe that you rip your gear uh, uh, off because you're so angry about the stability. <laughs> because oh, I mean, on one hand, it was so so nice weather, as you said, uh, no wind, no, uh, no a lot of sun, no thunderstorms, but there were also so weak terminals and so much uh, patience wa was uh, required. So yeah, uh, like we, when we saw the forecast, we thought like, hey, in the middle of the race, hey, we will make it to Monaco for sure. Nice, nice, nice. We had a really good race. I uh, felt really good physically, and yeah, was in in, in in good position. I think most of the time also this race. And um, yeah, so but then like three days before the end, there was this this huge heat wave coming in, and like this was this day where even Marcus Anders uh, he didn't make any thermal progress the whole day with full power sunshine in the middle of three thousand five hundred meter high mountains. I did struggle a lot, and and I I was at the other ridge which I made progress luckily, uh, but this was uh, crazy like stability wise. <laughs> And yeah, this yeah, was never... maybe my my low like uh, this this moment when I thought like oh oh this will be now really close if I don't if if the progress is, is so slow because of the stability now even Monaco can be uh, in danger so yeah this, this was, was the, the uh, low this point. was the titless titless year too I think Kriegel was the only one that top landed titless which was his. That was the game winner for sure. That was game yeah. over then that that night. That was an amazing flight from Davos up to there. But I think pretty much everybody did about five thousand meters on the Titlis day. That was that was a monster. Holy cow! I got yeah. a, I, I got up there late in the afternoon. It was hammering snow and really windy and totally unlaunchable. And I got in the yeah. in the uh, the 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 top of the gondola you know area, and I thought, oh. What a beautiful place. I'm just going to sleep here and have the most wonderful night. And my supporters were going, you're not going to sleep there. You're getting off that hill. Get outside and wait for a break. And no, it's hammering snow. It's it's windy. It's scary. I don't want to fly. No, get outside. Go. And it, they, they yeah. were right. That I got off the hill. Yeah. Man, that was a big day. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I did also 5,500 meters. I can remember this, this uh, day. Height meters. Yeah. Brutal. We we started calling you uh, the comeback kid right around then, or maybe it was it was I, I can't remember which, but you uh, had tended to have slower starts and then really started moving well, and and that was definitely one of those years. You had a great end of the race, and and we'll get to twenty one where you had an unbelievable finish, uh, just incredibly fast. But what do you chalk that up to? You. How do you how do you kind of pace yourself that you you seem to get stronger and stronger as the race goes by? Yeah, I think I just have not a very big problem to make decision even if they harm your ego, you know. <laughs> so, uh, for example, if I'm in a race and someone are running next to me and they are overtaking me, I give a shit because I think is this the right pace for me? Is this the right speed? Is this the right decision? And if they're overtaking me, I have no problem. And I'm I'm really good in like keeping my own pace, I would say. Mm. And so I, I still think the, the race is so long and you can see it every time in every episode that at the end, very many mistakes were, were done by other pilots. And maybe it's not that I'm making, I mean, for sure it was like, two or three episodes it was not working good for me at the beginning and then in the end it, i was uh, extraordinarily lucky and at the beginning i was extraordinarily unlucky i would say 
but um, also I, I just think that I keep my energy to the, the very end because you still have a lot of opportunities in the last days to push out all the power you have left. And uh, yeah, 10 days are long or 12 days. Highlight for 2019. Uh, highlight was the nice flight when we had already big doubts and we knew we need to do two very good days to be, have any chance to reach Monaco. And the first day, uh, the the uh, day before the last day, I did a huge cross country flight from um, uh, almost uh, Sahilair um, to. Um, I took the turn point Monteviso, which was stunning. Together with Gaspar Petio, we were flying. It was such a nice thing. I, I love this how how we. Uh, combined our forces and it was so nice the flying and then even in the evening the last terminals and the very last terminals we made it almost till the sunset and uh, knew that with this huge 150 kilometer flight uh, we were able to uh, have Monaco and reach the last day. He is proof positive that you don't have to have a very solid body to compete in the X-Alps. It's remarkable. I mean, he's yeah. so slow on the ground. He's got such bad – his knees are worse than mine. And uh, every time I've been on the ground with him, it's just I can't maintain his pace. It's too slow. Now, okay, see you later. And then he always passes me in the air. Yeah. He's such a good pilot. Yeah, that must have been beautiful flying with him. That's beautiful. I, I had never flown through Le Grave uh, from St. Hilaire – I, I crossed the and then yeah. hiked back up and then had a beautiful flight almost to Briançon and then a gust front put me down. But it was that is an amazing. I want to go skiing in there. That's a beautiful part yeah. of the world. This, I, I never had seen this landscape before uh, and I was never there and it was really nice experience for sure. Yeah. That was where Aaron Duragati was flying through and he was so tired he was watching YouTube videos in the air <laughs> to stay awake. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm curious which one. For, yeah, right. I know. We should, yeah, we want to know that. So before we go to 2021, for those listening who are rookies or maybe thinking about doing the X-Alps, after four campaigns, what do you wish you would have known in 2015 that you know now? How What would you change in terms of training or approach or team or anything? Hmm, good question. I think... In 2015, I had not such an idea about how the relevance and how also the protected areas are working. That's why I also made this huge mistake of flying backwards 33 kilometers because I actually flew the full Venturi, which was maybe like on the line, but like on the on the shortest line. But afterwards, it's obvious for me that the wind has to go through there. And I had not such a good understanding. And I was actually even not... Uh, so uh, comfortable to flying in huge mountains. I can remember when I was there in uh, uh, Mata Valley, uh, taking turn point Matterhorn, I was, oh my gosh, all these huge 4,000 meters mountains around me. Oh my God, the glaciers and everything. It's really breathtaking. So uh, when I uh, uh, when I took the turn point, I, my mind was a little bit like trying to get out of this area again. But very often in cross-country flying, I think it's better to stay in the high mountains and to stay in the protected areas than to fly to the big valleys where the strong valley winds are. Mm. Yeah, they, yeah, that was I, I learned that in 2015 going into Matterhorn. Everybody that went in and went back out like you do got hammered, and I we just stayed high and flew to Verbier, and it was it was on, it was spicy. There was you know I think Hansa and the Korean flew in in uh, in wave that day. It was so strong, but yeah. it, it was it, it works. Yeah, you're right. That uh, good advice. 
Okay, 2021. Crazy weather, at least uh, for many people. It was scary. Again, a bunch of accidents, uh, a couple proper fear injuries. You know, uh, and again, they don't publish much about this, but the some some pretty scary weather, especially the day that Kriegel had his big breakout move. I was going the other way, and and he said he didn't feel much fern, but boy, I was seeing some crazy strong south fern that day, and you know the clouds just dumping in, and it was pretty terrifying from my perspective. But you and I and Theo. Thought we were making a really good move, leaving the Geisberg the first day. And man, did we have a bad first day. We were way off the back. Uh, but the comeback kid comes through. You had an amazing finish. So <laughs> tell us about tell us about 2021. Yeah, I mean, 2021, it started. I, have you ever had this, this nightmares, like from competition flying or even X-Alps, like having the nightmare that you missed the start or forgot your GPS, like real nightmare in sleep? Did you ever have this? Totally. Especially going into 2015, I had these just awful, oh my God, I missed the start. <laughs> you know, that yeah, kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. I had this actually when, after I participated, I had not anymore the nightmare so often, at least maybe uh, a rally. But uh, before that, I had this very many times. And this was actually the start, like in a nightmare. <laughs> like everyone is flying away. It really, like we made this one uh, terminal. We saw the Geisberg. Uh, we soared up there, and then we we found this first little terminal, which I thought like, oh, perfect. That there will come a lot of more terminals. And normally, I noticed from my competition experience, it's always better to like it's really, really rarely to be one of the first. It's really rarely the best to be one of the first. It's more often good to have this little. Uh, how do you say like um, uh, objects yeah, a in, front of you. in front of you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the people, people showing you the way. Pilots, uh, flying and showing you the terminals, and then I I didn't went with many people uh, to to go with this maybe 200 300 meters over the Geisberg Peak, and I thought like yeah there will come a lot of opportunity, and suddenly after this one terminal when everyone uh, when when the half of the uh, group went. I sunk down with three and a half meters and I just top landed at Geisberg. And I thought like, because it's better than uh, to even sink down further than, than the takeoff. And this would have been super scary to, to, to land at Salzburg back again. <laughs> oh. And you, you sunk even further, I think. Right? Yeah, I got, I got way I below you. launch. It was terrifying. I thought, Oh, why didn't I top land with Manu and Theo? Uh, it was, it oh, was just shit. nothing was working right that day. That I was think terrible. It wasn't Theo, it was Michael Lacher. Yeah, ah yes, right. I yeah. I think uh, still think we Theo was actually I think he told me afterwards he was like 100 meters above the ground when he left, like uh, when oh. the reach next terminal really really low, and yeah, so we end up landing there and everyone made it up back in the next terminal, but we not, and then it took 10 minutes there the takeoff, then we could fly do another terminal miss another terminal because it was still not high enough to go and have to back uh, to land up back there to take off again, and uh, I mean. <laughs> Everyone is almost gone. And then finally, I mean, we left, but the conditions were getting worse and worse. We had no mapping pilots anymore. And so, I mean, in the end, it was not a huge, huge downside. I mean, it was maybe to the leading guys, maybe 20K uh, disadvantage. But I mean, all the decisions, I, I would still say it was not a bad decision, but it was just really unlucky that it uh, worked out like, like this or it didn't work out. <laughs> Yeah, and, and 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 it just got grayer and grayer. I mean, nothing was nothing was really working our way that day. We landed almost together, and then hiked up to that little coal and got all ready to go. And then 
oh, this isn't going to work, packed our stuff up again. It was just, yeah, it wasn't very flowy, uh, using a word you like to no, word, <laughs> use at all. Not flowy at all. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a tough one. Um, okay, how about, was that, the, was that the low point of the race? Was it just the first day? Or was no, the low point came afterwards. Actually, I, I, I was struggling before the race already with some problems of sleep, which I actually solved just the two or three weeks ago. I think to, to tell the people it's interesting, I think it was just a matter of electrosmog, like uh, being sensitive to the, the cables inside the wall, which I figured out finally. And uh, yeah, so so uh, yeah, to, to, uh, and I just had like for years actually the problem of not being completely uh, recovered after sleeping, feeling really like, like not good, even if I, I mean, I slept the whole night, but I still feel like weak and not good. And it was uh, especially 2021 in front of the race, uh, really hard. And this took also away my nerves. And I, during the first day and the second day, I was puking a lot of the time when I uh, walked up, or actually almost every morning. And uh, I was completely done with my nerves. I couldn't handle the easiest decisions, actually. And so I was, after day two, after the glide down, I was crying, really badly crying and completely down and destroyed and luckily my supporter and especially my wife came and, and I, they they were hugging me and just sitting there for half an hour even I knew that it was super nice terminal time actually I should have rushed up but I just said I cannot I cannot I'm so weak and I'm I'm, I'm so I, I'm not at the right place here it is not the right place for me I said all the time because I'm not in the I cannot handle it and then they said like hey come on let's do little steps try little things and try to eat a little thing and try to to just try another one day stay in the race one more day stay in the race one more day and so I, I kept hanging from one day to another and then it improved day by day um, and I felt uh, day by day better and my nerves came back and then in the end of course I made this incredible comeback which I never dreamt to to be able to to catch that far in front again after being so far back and uh, how did yeah, that go and, what was the what was the how'd you unlock that key there what what happened because I, I remember some of it from the live tracking but well uh, I, I remember yeah. I was watching some of your you know at night when I would walk and stuff I'd watch some of your videos I remember there was one landing there was a lot of wind and you were kind of landing backwards but uh and yeah. I don't know if that was the in the Aosta Valley but you made this flight from uh, there to Kronplatz you made you had a huge flight at one point through there yeah. that was just amazing yeah I think I did a lot of little good decisions since um, before Fisch. There was one day uh, uh, when I reached Fisch, I already made a good distance to all the other pilots who I started with this day. Then the next day at uh, at um, Donte Orge, I made a little, little distance, but the, the big two days was for sure after Mont Blanc. I made this decision to run through Aosta, and actually I had really a lot of power then suddenly there. <laughs> I was really running, I don't know, maybe 25, 30Ks or so to be able to reach a takeoff, which was way better in my opinion, but it was a huge push. And also the takeoff was like my highest ascent ever. I think it was 2,200 height meters or to just reach a takeoff only from the valley to the takeoff. 
And uh, so, but we said, hey, this will have a huge advantage because we don't need to make crossings there um, on the south side of the Matterhorn was this actually, the Monte Rosa Massif. And yeah, we made it to the takeoff in time and I felt good and I made a nice, uh, strong flight around the Monte Rosa Massif, battled through this crazy film conditions there in Macanagua, uh, Locarno and um, catch up with a lot of people in front of me. And uh, then I landed at this day in this crazy backwind uh, uh, event, which was not making a huge disadvantage to the other ones who made it maybe 10, 15 Ks further. And then the, <clears throat> the next day uh, was the most important day where I, I took off um, next to Turn Point uh, Santanini. How was this called? Monte Plotney. How, how was this forget called? The, the Turn Point? Yeah, there? I, for, the I forget. Pass, the um, Start yeah, to not Pitzkovic, um, yeah, whatever. The high one there, uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I took off, and it was also not really easy. You know, it was the whole day not really easy. And I took the decision to fly straight um, on the straight line. There were different options, where also the pilots in front of me, they took other options. And yeah, it worked out. There was really a lot of dark clouds around me, not really threatening dark clouds. It was more like this water clouds where there was also rain showers. But I knew that they were not really um, dangerous rain showers. So it was a lot of instability in the air, but I could uh, maintain to stay in the air and um, yeah, and uh, fly a lot of distance towards actually this day, even Pronek to um, Kronplatz. And yeah, all the other pilots, they made little mistakes. And uh, yeah, I even I went from maybe 13th position to a fifth position there. No, sixth, sixth position. And yeah, Did you top was, land Kronplatz that night? No, unfortunately not. I was there in the, I, I, I flew the whole, very whole day from start of terminals to the end. And in the very evening, I knew that because I took my night pass, because the next day it was over at 11. So I knew if I'm able to glide down from Kronplatz this evening, I have a huge advantage because then I can glide down and I can walk the whole night uh, towards the goal. And then the next day till 11 o'clock, of course, I expected not that so much uh, will be flown by this time, till this time. And uh, so I was uh, landing uh, uh, two mountains before Kronplatz and then I pushed I gave I had a, had to give a lot of power to make it up this mountains, maybe a couple of hundred meters, glide towards Kronplatz, and then make a full power push up to Kronplatz to be just in time. I think I took off at eight forty, and then I knew already. I calculated while I was running how much time I would need uh, in 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 trim speed to glide maximum uh, time towards the right direction. And yeah, it just worked out perfectly. I was just uh, maybe one minute before uh, deadline, I was on the ground. And I knew that the others who are just a bit behind me, uh, they cannot uh, glide down. So at this evening, of course, everyone took their night pass, but I knew it will not help them so much because they can, of course, run up the Kronplatz, but in the night you can just run down again and then run yeah. to this whole valley, which is like takes a couple of hours. So they have to wait up there on the Kronplatz till they can glide the next morning. And I could uh, uh, walk the whole night. So this is what I did. But then in the end, I, I actually had to also do a one really difficult decision because I was actually under Krente, this um, Antholz Valley. 
Um, and I was not sure with my whole team what to do because there was this huge no takeoff area in front of me. So I knew, okay, I could either run the whole night and it will be a 60 kilometer and I think 3000 height meter or 2000 height meter something um, to the next takeoff, which was also directed to the south and not to the east. And or I could take off, uh, could stay there, actually waste my completely night pass and take off <clears throat> the next morning at Krente, which I know that it's a perfect cross country mountain. And this this 40 kilometers um, um, air line, direct line, which I run the whole night in 60 kilometer running, uh, of course, can be flown by one and a half hours if you take off in the nice take off in a good east phase. So it was really hard, this decision. But then I thought, of course, I don't want to um, waste my night pass. And even if I'm stuck there on the other takeoff in the south side, waiting for the sun to go around to the south, and the other might fly over me in worst case situation could could uh, have happened then uh, i still tried everything that was my reason and then yeah I, I, I it was really nice experience actually with my wife anastasia she's also trail running and we we uh, walked or run the whole night and together actually i w i was sleeping no joke like sleeping walking and having her on my hand like I closed my eyes and it was it felt really like sleeping while I was walking in this night. Wow! And yeah, it was a good uh, good experience neat. for us. And so we made it in the right time to this takeoff. And then while I was waiting there, because it was obvious that I, I cannot take off as early as the others, suddenly Toby Großrobatzer glided down from this Kronblatt uh, mountain and found the entrance at eight o'clock in the morning or even I think even before eight. It was so early. He he found terminals and climbed up to Krente uh, where Paul Guschelbauer was waiting. And I could not uh, believe my eyes. And I thought like, oh, no, now these two guys, they were battling each other, will battle each other and pushing really hard to catch me. So I, I need to get away from this takeoff now really fast, I thought. But yeah, luckily, uh, Toby went landing somehow. He he, he left Paul quite a bit uh, um, after that, uh, short after that. And uh, yeah, I got airborne, found some really nice terminals, and I was really happy. And I thought like, okay, that's it, that's it. I I think I will um, um, hold this fifth position. But then it was just half an hour till the deadline. It was... Uh, uh, really short before, but then I stuck in a strong uh, north fern, which grounded me, and I was clear that I cannot make any progress towards the north where I need to go. So in the air, so I landed and packed my stuff, and I ran like uh, everything I could because Paul was really, really close and uh, approaching me uh, from other direction, and I just run this uh, street up there with my team coming and helping me. Maybe I think six, seven kilometer. Until uh, this uh, half an hour was over and, and Paul was coming really, really close. It was really spectacular fitness in the end. So I just managed to it was, uh, get not overtaken again. Yeah. That was a nail-biting finish. I was watching you on live tracking and I, I had Paul in 3D, the, whole, the only time I've ever been able to watch that. You know, to, usually we don't have time, but you know, the, my race was, was done and we were in the camper and, you know, ready to go and, and, uh, come back for the party. And, and I was looking at it just going, Oh my God, he's got him. He doesn't have him. He's got him. He's got him. Yeah. Oh, it was so close. Yeah, it was a matter of one time. <laughs> but then of course he also came in this area where the strong North wind was and then everything. I think he told me also, he was so happy 
that he could land when the race was over because these conditions were so crazy there. Uh, because he, that's the, also what makes Xerps, in my opinion, so um, <clears throat> demanding is you have to go in one direction where you have to go and not w which direction you choose. So you just have to go towards the stupid northern and you cannot stay in the protected areas. And yeah, you're just pushing every meter how far you can get. And that's the difference to other competitions where you set your task where you want to be. Mm. Menu, I'm curious <laughs> now with the little one on board, if, has anything changed in the way you approach is it any different now you know if you did the 2025 race would it be any different would you take any different level of risk than what you did back in 2015 and can you chalk I mean, if so can you chalk that up to the kid or to age excuse me um <clears throat> good question i mean i can definitely say that i was always a person and a pilot who I really enjoy and enjoyed my life and I always knew and I was I, I, I was not taking crazy risks so it was <clears throat> even with speed flying or other things I was always doing the things which I can really control and if I have a strange gut feeling uh, I was often just hesitating and doing the chicken out uh, decision and not even sometimes I could not really understand, but uh, I could not really explain why I was doing this. Uh, I was really at the beginning of my flying career. I had a, a, a hard time because I had friends who were just like a little bit more uh, equipped with bigger balls. <laughs> and they were just like, <laughs> they were just doing the things and they worked out for them. And I could not even explain why it should be dangerous, for example, trying to stall. Hey, it took me like six, seven years till I finally, I was always doing stalls, like one, two stalls a year, uh, one, two stall sessions a year. But then it worked always out perfectly fine. It was a totally nice experience. But always when I tried it again in front of doing it, I was so scared that I didn't do it. And I could not even explain why I should be scared, but I just was scared. And then I end up not doing it because I, I, I was doing hard to force myself into a situation which I don't like. and But then this, on the other hand, this attitude or this feeling maybe protected me from situations of being too uh, too too dangerous. or uh, So I don't know, but for sure I can see my thoughts already sometimes, even on normal tandems flights also, which I, I did in the past when uh, Linus was already there when I thought about him, which I, of course, didn't do it before he was there. So um, I, I, I imagine that I will be a bit more passive than mm. before, for sure. <clears throat> I've always kind of liked Tom DeDorlado's approach. He seems to really just yeah. take it as, as the adventurer, and he's he's very pragmatic about risk. You know, he's just totally unwilling to... It's a, it's a weird one, isn't it, though? Because I find that... The headspace, and I've talked about this a lot on the show, but the, the headspace that you get in during that race is not something I could ever emulate in training. It just doesn't, it doesn't come. I'm, I'm, you know, the, you, you start taking risks that normally you would be really uncomfortable with, but you're not uncomfortable with it in the race at all. I, I've, I've never felt like I've done there. I've gotten into situations like the one we were talking about in VARS in 2015, where it was really extreme. But exactly, it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't that I was 
pushing Taking it really hard. Exactly. I just yeah. ended up in a really gnarly. Exactly. I mean, it was a perfectly, it was a wonderful yeah. recreational flying day. I was just yeah. in the wrong place, you know. So I, that could have totally happened just flying. But yeah. there's there, but at the same time, you know, when I'm training for the X Alps and purposefully going out on days that are really marginal because I know I have to train for the race and I'm really scared and in the race I I can honestly say I don't remember ever feeling really scared I I I have always felt like you know when it gets to that point you've just you're in this headspace of yeah this is awesome bring it you know and you know, I, I, it's it's a funny thing, isn't it? I and I've I've talked to many others who have done the race, and they all kind of say the same thing that they don't. You know, Kriegel has kids, and he feels like he's really got it. He's really he's trained mm-hmm. for it. He feels like it, he's not taking too much risk. I mean, he's proving it for so many years without yeah. major uh, injuries. So that's the proof that he's doing it right. I would say, and yeah, yeah I, I would totally agree. In this situation where I really got scared. Uh, I was not pushing and taking this decision uh, really consciousness uh, conscious that I said like ah I will fly now in thunderstorm. All the time when I was taking bigger risk, uh, it ended up being completely controlled. But then suddenly it was also this 2017. I had actually then I had to think about you because I had also 40 meter sinks uh, there after this Montebaldo flight, where I I saw. Actually, I do some things also in, in flying on my uh, phone, communicating in WhatsApp. And I also looked up at uh, home. I saw that there's a huge cold front coming on the north side. And uh, also this cloud, which I saw, made me a little bit like really far away. But also over me, there were these scattered covered clouds. And I, I spoke with my supporting team. Hey, how is this cold front? It looks really strange. And they said like, oh, no, no, it's really far away and only on the north side. And then a couple of minutes later, I suddenly got washed. I mean, it was a local thing, maybe. There was in the valley, it was just next to the valley on one ridge. And in the valley was maybe 40 kilometer per hour wind. So not super crazy or 35 to 40. I was just barely flying or standing, actually. But on the side on this ridge, I suddenly got sinked, like uh, sink down with 14 meters. I never experienced something before, and I had to think, ah, that that, that is what was the, the experience. What Gavin told me, <laughs> to 80 meters. <laughs> that's how it feels. And then in the middle of the valley, I had three, four meters climb, which also felt not nice because I thought, like, ah, oh, hopefully there will be not coming more wind. And I anyway didn't do any progress forward, so I was just standing there climbing a bit and standing in the wind so i thought then i actually ended up spiraling down and walking and uh yeah so this was all things which happened suddenly and you didn't expect them to come yeah yeah it was it was interesting catching up with cody and at the uh the swiss swiss turn point the first one i forget the name of that uh, beautiful place coming out of the war pass Last year, year in 2021, what fish. was the, uh, ah, no, the first no, not fish before, before. um, Santis, Santis, yeah, he was sitting there at the launch, and I walked up, and he, he just had this look, he'd had that terrible experience leaving Laramoose that a lot of people did, you know, uh, and big thunderstorms and hail, and 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 it, he just had this look of he was kind of done mentally. He was done. He just, uh, I, I, that was too much, you know, and I, I've never reached that in the X ops. It's always been, you know, I've always felt like it was reasonable risk, but when you look back, you think, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
the the 2015 for example there was one day before that was what i was mentioning that i could judge quite the wind good because two days before i was also i was that was also very stable day and i was scratching like i said it's kind of a toilet flush i felt like i was flying really low in the valleys from valley wind um soaring hill to another and i just could not manage to get higher but i just like was yeah caught in this valley wind and i was doing progress but it was all the time in strong winds and it wasn't really not landable areas and one time i can remember where i was really gliding towards this um, uh, a soaring ridge which is um, was good in the valley wind and i was so low uh, reaching it and knew if i if i don't climb there's no landing and the wind is so strong that i, I mean it was i was really reaching it by maybe 30 meters or so like i was 30 meter over the valley floor and i knew i knew it will work because it was so strong wind but i knew if i get a lot of sink before i reach it and i don't reach the mountain or the the, the ridge then i have to land in strong winds standing and there were obstacles all around me so these situations for sure were way more nerve-wracking and scary than the next day where i saw hey okay behind me is a huge field i'm flying 30 kilometers per hour backwards but i mean i'm not getting blown i was quite low already at this point so i just thought okay i just have to take care that i'm not take, getting blown over this field i see down in the grass that the wind down there is for sure not so crazy that i get hurt when i land even if i'm flying backwards so i thought okay spiral down in front of the field and then you just go on the brakes and fly backwards into the field so it felt quite controlled, actually, even if it sounds mm. crazy. <laughs> yeah, so many good stories, Manu. Thanks for sharing uh, for the fifth or sixth time now. <laughs> I think this one worked, buddy. And uh, but I appreciate it. It's great to great to see your smiling face. It's great to relive all these special moments. And excited for you and your new family. And uh, mm -hmm. excited to maybe see you in twenty five. Thanks, buddy. That was fun. Yeah. Thank you as well, and uh, it was always a pleasure. So we can do it also several more times with you. It's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good. I, actually, when we we didn't do the uh, when the the recording was not working, I thought like you can never tell it again, like so authentic or so how you feel when you do it. Uh, uh, tell it the first time, but it's never getting old. It never gets yeah. old. It's a fun race. Thanks, bud. Yeah. yeah, thank you too. And we wish all the other pilots luck. I, I'm really yeah. curious, curious how it feels the first time to just watch it in live tracking and have a lot of friends who I'm cheering. And yeah. Oh, I know. Is it going to be torture or is it going to be fun? I, yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm not sure about that, but yeah. <laughs> Me neither. Sure I've thought exciting. a lot about it. It's going to be yeah. exciting. It always is. Yeah. Thanks, man. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher, or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing. A lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks, so 
For example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people, and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us then just let me know and i'll set you up with an account of course that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us but you'll find all that on the website uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you